Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. I am so glad to be here with you today. It is my honor uh, to be with you, and I could not say no uh, to your pastor and my friend and brother, Pastor Roberson. He is a blessing to me. We thank God for his work. I remember meeting him uh, before he came to uh, New York. He was coming to Brooklyn, and uh, I think a classmate of his is a young man that I've mentored, Bobby Manning, Dr. Manning. And uh, so he came into Brooklyn, and and I think Bobby was here preaching for me. And so we got together and went to Dallas BBQs because Pastor Dr. Bobby insists that that he can't preach for whatever it is when he comes to preach for me. He just can't preach the same unless he goes to Dallas BBQs. I, I've never understood it. And true to his word. Every time he comes to me, which is just about every year, uh, if we don't go to Dallas BBQs, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a preaching out of him. And so we went there, we were able to talk, and uh, he, he expressed to me his vision uh, for what he wanted to do and what he believed God had called him to do here in Brooklyn. Um, and true to who I am, I told him the challenges he was going to have and what it was going to look like and, and what Brooklyn is and what it has become and what it used to be uh, and all the things that go with that. And um, when I got done, I thought I was for sure saying, now I know he ain't coming now because I told him the truth. He ain't coming now. And he was like, well, you know how he talks. Man, well, bless God. I just, uh, after... <laughs> After hearing what you said, and and I shared with my with my wife, and and uh, don't y'all tell him I'm doing this, and um, I just I just feel feel the call to do this here in Brooklyn, man. I just God won't leave me alone about Brooklyn. He just won't leave me alone. And I'm like, okay, then come on, man. We're gonna help you any way we can. And amen. He came, and I said, look at this. He came to Brooklyn. I'm grateful to God for him and for his friendship. My wife is here with me today, which is a blessing for me. Amen. Would you stand up, sweetheart? That's my wife. She has been my wife for 28 years. Amen. I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. You look way too young to have been married for 28 years. And you are absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. We got married when we were three yeah, three. It was, yeah, we were three. And um, amen. Our parents had to sign off for us to get married. And so uh, uh, she is with me today, and I'm grateful to God for her uh, being with me today. Amen. Um, she traditionally will travel with me if I'm local, but when I'm going out of town, she's not into the. I don't like to stay in hotels and all that stuff. I like to go do what I have to do and, and you know, try to get back home. And so she's not into those quick trips. Uh, and so she is with me today, and I'm grateful. Uh, she has an armor bearer with her, Aisha. We love her. Hi, Aisha. Amen. We are grateful to God for that young lady. God has anointed her and just raised her up, and she has passed the bar last year. I think she passed the bar two years ago in the middle of all of this. And so we're excited for her. And I have two young men with me who serve with me. Uh, Brother Will, would you raise your hand, Brother Will? That's Brother Will. And then Brother Jeremy, raise your hand, Brother Jeremy. Amen. I'm grateful to God for them traveling with me. Pastor, why do you do that? Why do you have people travel with you? Uh, Because I believe that more in discipleship is caught than is taught. 
I just believe that. And it has been proven in our church um, because we get people to serve. Amen. It got real quiet at the Bridge Church. It got real quiet at the Bridge Church. I believe that you need to learn how to serve in order to serve. You can't be taught how to serve. People can give you rules about it, but you're going to have to do it in order to learn it. Amen. I got two amens. I got one mm. Now, they did tell y'all I'm from Brooklyn, right? I'm from East New York. Like, like the East East. And I can say reckless stuff because, praise the Lord, I'm going back to my church. So don't push me too hard. I'll, I'll, I'll come down your row. I'll, I'll come down your road. Amen. Amen. I wrote a book. <laughs> Let me leave you all alone. I wrote a book um, a few years ago, The Day My Daddy Died. This book was written uh, specifically. I wrote it so that it could be read in 45 minutes. My goal was, publisher told me I was ridiculous, um, but my goal was that it would be small enough to fit in the person's pocket, uh, specifically men, um, and they could read it while waiting for a connecting flight. Made no sense to anyone except that I wanted to get out of me the turmoil that had tried to destroy me. At 13 years old, I had, an, and had a, a, a situation happen to me that caused me to have literally a mental meltdown. I didn't know that's what it was then. Uh, later in life, I recognized this mental meltdown. And in that moment, I spoke some things to myself that caused me to build walls against everybody and I didn't even know it. When my wife and I, when I asked her to marry me, I tried to sabotage um, our arrangements trying to get married because I didn't believe it was possible for anyone to love me the way she said she loved me. All of this stemmed from the fact that I could not get the love of my father, who, by the way, was a known preacher, but I couldn't get his love. And it devastated me. And I believe that this book has, a, has something to say to people who are hurt by their past, hurt by their childhood situations, and really don't understand why perhaps you act and function the way you do. One lady said to me after reading the book, she texted me and she, she emailed me actually, and she said, my God, had I read your book a few years ago, I think I'd still be married. You didn't catch it. She said, because as I read your book, I saw my ex-husband. It's not that he didn't love me. It's that he had a hard time loving himself. And because he couldn't love himself, it's almost impossible to love anybody else. And so this book, I believe, will bless you. I think they have some in the back. If you're online, you can get it at Amazon. It's the day my daddy died. My name is on it, and it's a really good picture of me on it. Really good picture of me on there. Amen. My wife picked that picture out, and and made me do a photo shoot, which I hate. And let me tell you why I hate it, Pastor. Because they came in my house, right? They come to my house to do photo shoot. And um, so I'm, you know, I'm from East New York. I'm, let's go. Let's go do the photo shoot. They're like, where are you going? I said, we're going to go do the photo shoot. And it's like, well, we need to kind of pick out your clothes. You want to pick out my clothes? I pick out my own clothes. I pick out my own clothes. I need to pick out clothes. And we didn't want to tell you, Pastor, but we got to do makeup. Makeup what? What you making up? What you making up? Makeup so your face doesn't shine. And oh, makeup, makeup. No, nah, we ain't doing that. We ain't, we ain't doing that. And it took about 30 minutes. Amen for them to convince me. And it wasn't really convincing. It was my wife saying, oh, yeah, you're doing it. 
And I was like, you're not the boss of me. And then I sat in the chair and let him do it. <laughs> Amen. So we all know who's in charge. You're clear. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James. James, the first chapter. I want to try to pull a truth out of this. I don't want to approach it the way James, the first chapter, chapters one through four, traditionally approached. Um, I've preached this text in many different ways, from many different perspectives, but there is something specific that I want you to see here. I do understand the argument um, around the book of James. I do understand uh, what James is trying to get across, who James is speaking to. All of that is clear, but I want to just kind of pull out, extrapolate some principles uh, for where we are and where we find ourselves currently. Um, this actually, this message came out of the pandemic. Actually, as we went into the pandemic, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me very clearly from a text that I was familiar with, and he said, here's something I want you to pre present to my people. I want you to help them understand what I might be doing in this season. And the Lord told me that it would, this season would be a lot longer than we thought it would be. And so I just figured we'd just, you know, be out for a couple of weeks or whatever, a month, and we'll get it together. Uh, the doctors in my church um, quickly helped me to understand um, that that was not going to be the case. Uh, they helped me understand how we needed to move. And, and then I began to understand what God had spoken to me. We would have a lot longer time to deal with. Now, most of us sitting in here thought by this time we would be done with this. We are in church in August of 2021, and you're still wearing masks. None of us thought that we would still be here. We thought for sure that we beat this thing about seven months ago. We beat this thing and we're going to be back to normal and, 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 and uh, uh, summer's going to be back to normal and we're going to go on our vacations and we're going to just do the things that we used to do and we're going to come to church and have fellowship and be able to hug people because you know in church we love to hug people. We like touching your neighbor. Well in my church we like touching your neighbor. We like you know we, we that kind of church. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor God's going to bless you and we can't do that now. I be telling them don't turn to your neighbor. Tell yourself because you ain't going to say you got nothing here. Keep your mask going on turning your neighbor just tell yourself that God's going to do it I so we, we we worship in that way and none of us thought I certainly not that we would still be in this place functioning the way we're functioning one year seven months later James has something to say James chapter 1 verse 1 James a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greetings my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing I want to talk to you today for the next 29 minutes, 20, 28, from this thought, game changer, game changer, game changer. It was the seven foot two Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the center for UCLA, who became, because of his size and his athleticism, his dunk was unstoppable. No one could stop Kareem from dunking when he was in college. 
His dunk was so amazing, he could fly so high above the rim that college decided, college basketball decided to ban the dunk. No one could defend him, so they banned the move. They banned the dunk, and they banned the dunk for 10 years. Well, after he had left college, this was still not an allowed move in college basketball because Kareem had changed the rules which caused them to change the game. He stepped into something and caused the rules that were in place to have to change to accommodate his abilities. Not enough for you, my beloved Giants. My beloved Giants. If you don't like the Giants, please be quiet right now. Don't say nothing. My beloved Giants have on their roster one of the idols of us Giants fan. We call him LT, Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor, 56, was drafted by the Giants in 1981. In his rookie season, he logged nine and a half sacks on the quarterback. And at the end of his 13-year career, the great LT had 142 sacks, and 20 and a half of those sacks came in his first season that he was being coached. All coaches in football had to change how they played because Lawrence Taylor had changed the game. The game was never the same after LT played. Ever since, there's been a change in how defense must be played because you had to change in order to stop this guy. Well, a game changer is when you introduce something that changes an existing situation in a significant way. It's when you introduce something. It's when you bring to bear your gifts. It's when you bring to bear what God has done for you. It's when you bring to bear what God has made you to do. It's when you bring it to bear on an existing church, on an existing community, on an existing group of people. When you bring it to bear so much so that it changes what you've touched in a significant way. Bridge Church, I got a feeling, knowing what I know about Brooklyn, knowing what I know about the community that your church is in, knowing all the changes that this community has gone through. When I was growing up, you couldn't come down here with what y'all call Park Slope. You couldn't come here unless you knew somebody here. Y'all didn't catch it. Most of y'all from out of town. Let me slow it down. If you came to this community and you didn't know anybody, you were probably going to get beat up. Why? What do you mean you know somebody? Well, the guys would come up to you and be like, hey, man, what's up? What you doing here? And you better throw out a name that they know. This was a rough community. Nothing like what you have today. 
not even comparable, not even in the same spectrum or on the same planet. It's a completely different community. There were churches everywhere in this community. They're gone. Buildings are where they used to be. Restaurants are where those churches used to be. God has you here because he must intend for you to change the game. I believe this with all my heart. If a church does not impact the community that it is in, it should close. It is one of my philosophies of ministry. Church does not exist just for the folks who come to it. God plants a church wherever he wants to make a difference. If you've been able to sustain all the changes that most of you know nothing about, you should read up and learn the history of this area so that you can see all that God would have had to do to make it possible for you to be here today. All the shifts, all the challenges that had to be overcome in order for you to be here Today, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to the Jews that have been scattered, and he says to them, greetings, which is a strange thing to say. In this moment, he says to them, greetings, and his word greetings means joy. Why are you talking to me about joy right after the word scattered? Scattered means that we ain't where we want to be. We have been pushed away, or we are outside of where we want to be. It means joy. And then he gives them a command, and if you study the book of James, you will find that James always speaks by starting by saying, brethren, and after saying, brethren, are my beloved brothers, he then gives a command. You can actually find and walk through the book of James and find what I have found, 14 instances where James gives commands in his book, and he starts all of them, all 14, with brethren or my beloved brethren, then he gives a command. The command he gives them is to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Man, don't you know that we in a pandemic, a whole pandemic. Don't you know that people are dying? Don't you know that this right here, New York City, was the epicenter of the epicenter? you know that people were dying left and right? Do you know that we are still don't know what our kids are going to do about school? We're still talking about hybrid situation. We are still in hybrid situation. We got more people online than you have in the building. What a shift. And you want to tell me that I should have joy? I lost my job, man. My company went under. I cannot pay my rent which is a mortgage in most other parts of the country. Let me, let me back that up. Rent in Brooklyn is, two, is like having two or three houses. Oh, y'all going to look at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all going to look at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's like having two or three houses in another part of the country. Take your rent and buy three houses. Still have some money left over. I can't have joy when I'm looking at all the things that are going wrong. Count it all joy when you fall in these various trials. Trials are afflictions and hardships permitted in our lives by God to develop stamina in us. Let me get you to have a perspective change. Trials are not something God sends or allows to kill you. 
We don't understand who God is. God don't need to send a trial to kill you. He could just simply hold your breath. He sends a trial, allows trials, so that he can develop stamina. If one thing we need, Pastor Rasul, did I say it right? Rasul, I was close. I was real close. One thing we need in Christendom today is stamina. Man, we can't stand stuff for too long. We can stand one person talking about us, but they got to stop after the first Sunday they did it. We can't stand somebody talking about us for two Sundays. We can't stand the fact that we don't get to do the things we want to do in church for more than three Sundays. We can't, we cannot stand it. We don't have stamina. And the only way you get stamina is to stand flat foot in a situation and not give in. Can't nobody pray stamina on you. Can't nobody uh, uh, please stamina on you. You can't go get it online. You cannot Google it. I know I just messed you up. You cannot Google it and take three steps to stamina. Stamina comes by standing in the storm and not giving up. Standing in the face of trial and not giving up. I might cry, but I'm not going to give up. I might get upset, but I am not going to get up. I might get knocked down, but guess what? I'm going to brush myself off. I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to stand in the face of this situation because if God allows it, he knows I already have enough in me to make the difference. Would you ask yourself, I wonder how much stamina I have. How much stamina do I have? How much can I take? For the sake of God. Now we take a lot for our friends. It got quiet. We take a lot in relationships. But man, if God don't do what we want God to do when we want God to do it, we out. I see now. I have stepped on the proverbial toes at this point. God has got but two minutes to fix what it is. Lord, by the time brunch is over, I'm going to need this situation fixed. And when God doesn't function or act on our timeline, we forget the God we say we were serving. Because some of us only have stamina up until the blessing. As long as God does what he said he's going to do and bless me, I can keep on going. But man, oh man, God's pulling some of us, not everybody, because most Christians, watch this, it's going to get tight. Most Christians will never follow God. I've come to mess with your religion. The problem is we've told people that the minute they became a Christian, now they're going to follow God. No, you got to make a decision to follow God. You can become a Christian and never do anything else for the kingdom for the rest of your life. And that's the majority of church. You don't believe me? All right. Here's one of the things that all of us pastors know. All of us pastors know that there are people who have left church, left God during this pandemic. We don't know it because we're not back in church yet. 
but they left, checked out. Leaders, done, out of here, chilling. Why? Because the trial was too much. I thought this was last for just a small amount of time. How do we change the game then? Pastor, you said that God has called us to be a game changer. He wants us to change his game. How do we change it? Right here in the text. Can I give it to you? I'm going to get out your way. Let you go back to the, the, uh, the street side dining. <laughs> thought I would never see street side dining in Brooklyn. Make me want to go out there and see what they serve it. First thing you want to do, if you're going to change the game that you're in, and I use game loosely, but I think you understand what I mean. If you're going to change the area that God is trying to call you into, number one, you got to change your attitude. <laughs> I lost you there. I'm going to be telling Pastor James, Pastor Robertson, uh, James, he was in here cursing, man. Just You should tell your friends from East New York that this ain't East New York. He's in here cussing. What was he cussing about? He told us to change our attitude. Change your attitude. Verse, verse 2. He said, I want you to change. I want you to change. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. My brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or diverse trials. I want you to change. Don't act like what you're going through. It takes maturity. Oh boy, there's another cuss word in church. It takes maturity to not act like what you're going through. Most people like to act like what they're going through so they can get sympathy. It's amazing to me, Pastor. You cannot do that anywhere but church. Before becoming a pastor, I was a banker. I'm a corporate guy. Do you know in the corporate world, this is going to blow your mind. In the corporate world, they don't care how you feel about their decisions. turning direction. They have meetings with the people who need to turn the ship. And here's what they say. I've been in these meetings. Anybody who doesn't want to go in this direction, leave now. And we just buckle down and do what it is we got to do and we move forward. But let us pray before the scripture in church or sing before the prayer. You know, take it out of our traditional order. And we, we messed up for the whole service. Mm. I can't wait till service is over. I got some stuff to say to the pastor. Pastor, we are supposed to pray and then read scripture and then have the song and it's supposed to be two songs and at the end of those two songs, we're supposed to go into the word. That's what we're supposed to do and you cannot be changing. Why is it we can change? They can change where stuff is in the supermarket and you'll still go. Oh, I, I got you. I see you. I ain't scared of you, but I see you. They can change stuff everywhere. We'll still go because we use church as the place where we can, we were, uh, uh, let me make sure I say it right, where we can um, uh, parlay or hang out in our traditions. Hmm. I might not be back here again. At some point, God will mess up your traditions. 
to show you that he didn't call you to worship at the altar of tradition. Thank you, one, two, three, five, seven. Okay, I got 12 minutes to get this part of the church right here. I got 12 minutes to get that part right there. Tradition is fine until we declare that everything stops and tradition goes above scripture. And in most churches in America, I know it's going to mess you up, the Bible is not the guiding force. The bylaws are. The Bible is not the guiding force about what we ought to be doing. It's what the deacon said 50 years ago. I was consulting with the church and I told them this. We got into this pandemic piece. I said, listen, man, you got to change your attitude about technology. You got to change your attitude about technology because you're going to be here for a minute. We need to change it. Let me help you change your attitude about technology. Refuse to change his attitude about technology. And here's what his rationale. People need to come to church for the church to be the church. Philosophy. Okay, great. You won't change your attitude, therefore you cannot change the game. You cannot go into what God is calling you to do without changing the way you think. Thank you. Because the way you think currently when you're called into something is not the way you need to think to accomplish the thing you're coming into. The way you think was enough to get you from where you were to where you are. But if you're going to go from here to there, you're going to have to change your thinking because your thinking is to go from one to two and God is trying to take you from two to three. And if you don't be careful, your thinking will take you back to one. Said, so I want you to change your attitude. Attitude has to do with the fact that we, how we choose to respond to a situation. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? The way we respond to something is a choice we made. So when we cuss, I know y'all don't cuss because y'all saved. <clears throat> when we cuss, we chose to cuss. See how quiet it got? Because in church, we like to believe that the devil made me do it. Which is my get out of jail free card so I can do what I want to do. I just blame it. On the devil. Story is told that God comes to heaven and the devil is sitting outside a church and he's crying. And God says, Satan, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Come on, man. You're tougher than that. Why are you crying? He said, I'm tired of this. Satan said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. I'm just sick of this. And he said, God said, what's the matter? He said, everybody inside there blame me for everything. <laughs> we blame Satan for stuff we chose to do. One of the reasons the church can't get delivered is because we lie too much. Oh boy. He said, I want you to consider it all gladness. I want you to consider it all enjoyment. I want you to consider it all good with no mixture of grief or complaint, which means I'm going to have to choose to function that way even though I don't feel it. Are you able to worship God for real, even when you don't feel like it? And folks will say, yes, yes, yes. Here's the real question. How long can you do that? 
long can you worship God and him not do what you want him to do? How long can you pray for somebody that you love to be healed and they not be healed? Will you continue to worship God at their funeral? Will you worship God when you put them in the ground? Will you worship God when their first birthday comes? Will you worship God when you go through the year of first? Will you still honor God in that moment? And I'm telling you that if you're going to change the game of what God has placed you in, you're going to have to change your attitude. And the attitude must be, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, you got to have joy. Because in order for us to have joy, we have to recognize that the wrong attitude about trials will keep us confused, in trouble, and messed up. Trouble, we misunderstand, we misunderstand trouble, temptation, tribulation, and trials. We misunderstand them. We, we, we think they're all the same, so we respond to them all the same. We respond to all of them the same because we think they're the same. They're not the same. Okay, let me see if I can help you out. Trouble, watch this. Trouble is something you get into. See, I lost you already. Because we don't get into trouble. Satan took us in trouble. You are no longer slaves to sin. I read that somewhere. Um, you get into this. Trouble is something you get into. Temptation Watch this. It's something that originates in you. Oh, if we just tell the truth, we might get delivered. I am tempted by what's in me. Can I tell you something? If you like them tall, dark, and handsome, Satan ain't sending short, ugly, and light. He's going to send what creates a temptation for you. So the best way to deal with temptations is to stop lying about what you like. <laughs> I'm by myself. We try to pretend, I just want to worship the Lord. I just want to be in the Lord's presence. I spend all my time talking to God in prayer, flying around like an angel, levitating because God is so good. And Jesus is my husband. Jesus takes care of my needs. Jesus takes care of me sexually. Oh, I just love Jesus. Stop lying. <laughs> If we start by telling the truth, that's why he said, confess your faults one to another. You need to find, that's discipleship. Discipleship is what I can sit down and tell you. I'm wrestling in my flesh. And know that you're not going to take advantage of what I'm wrestling with. Nor are you going to go tell the rest of the church. You're going to work with me, pray with me, give me scriptures. You're going to hold me accountable. You're going to push me. Gonna, but that requires an attitude change. That trial is something that comes because the temptation is something that originates in me. Tribulation is something that comes to destroy me. Tribulation doesn't come from God. Satan knows how to give tribulation better than anybody. He's a master of it. Tribulation comes 
for the purpose of destroying us. God is not trying to destroy you. God's not trying to kill you. Trials is something external that comes to test you. You can't go to school and get out of school without a test. You can't go to school and get out of school without a test. And can I tell you something else? Unlike school, life doesn't put the test on the syllabi. And we're going to have a test October 22nd on these chapters and this reading. Come prepared. You know? Life just show up and be like, guess what? Guess what? Things going good? Mm-hmm. You happy? Mm-hmm. Things going like you wanted to go, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thanking God good because I'm your next test. And I just show up. I just show up. What you going to do when the test shows up and you're not ready for it? What are you going to do when the test shows up and you'd rather not take it? What are you going to do when the trial shows up and you say, nah, I'm going to just ignore that one? I got a feeling that some of us have been ignoring the issues of our life. And now those issues have become storms. And those storms are now feeding into other storms. And this season of isolation that we're trying to come out of has, re- has revealed to many of us that we're not as strong as we thought. It has helped us to understand our need, our desperate need for people. God created us to be in a community. Why do you think Satan tries and fights so hard to keep us out of community? He makes he wants you to be a Republican and you be a Democrat and go on different sides. That's what he wants. He wants you to be, I'm for guns. I'm not for guns. Oh, you got to choose a side. When the truth of the matter is, there is not a problem we have in this world that we cannot solve if we sit down, humble ourselves, and talk. need to change your attitude. Last thing. I want you to change your attitude to change this game. And I want you to raise your consciousness. Raise your consciousness. Okay. Let's look at the scripture. Look at the scripture. Verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Your consciousness, your consciousness is a state of being aware of what's going on around you. Now, when I grew up, You had to have eyes in the back of your head. You must always be aware of your surroundings. My wife owned a salon right across the street from where is now the uh, Barclay Center. So we owned the salon there before the Barclay came. And so, you know, I'm the pastor of this great church, right? And so you would think that being the pastor of this great church, you know, I could chill. But no, I would have to finish school because I was in school. My master's program, I had to finish school, leave from the city, come across the BQE, park in front of the salon, and clean the salon. I am the pastor. Don't be clapping. I am the pastor of Hope City Church. And I had to clean the salon. And here's what I noticed. As I'm cleaning the salon, I started seeing people jogging. 
at like two o'clock in the morning and walking their dogs. And we often think that because our surroundings look better, we don't have to raise our consciousness. We don't have to be concerned about what's happening around us. Because we come to a great church, we don't have to be concerned about the fact that people are dying right outside. Because when we come in here, it's so sweet, so lovely, so wonderful that we forget that we stepped over homeless people to get here. We drove past people who don't know what they're going to eat. Yes, you got wonderful, beautiful restaurants on the sidewalk. Sidewalk cafes in Brooklyn. Bless God. And there are people who don't have food to eat and we forget because we think our surroundings is just church. And the truth of the matter is God wants you to elevate your thinking past yourself. If this pandemic hasn't taught us anything, it's taught me this. That we are probably the most selfish people on the planet. I didn't come to shout you. I didn't come to hoop. I can do all of that. I didn't come for none of that. None of it. I want us to understand that God has placed us in a moment in time where he wants to see us change the game. Don't just be a player in it. Change it. Change it. Find where you can serve. Another cuss word. I've just been cussing all day. Find where you can serve. We often don't change the game. We often don't make a difference where God puts us because we think God put us there for us. Yeah, I would see the Cosby show. I grew up on the Cosby show. As a matter of fact, the Cosby show was how I learned so much. I became in, in, interested in investing because of the Cosby show. I went into banking because of the Cosby show. I collect art because of the Cosby show. Nobody in my family ever talked about that. We were poor. There's an episode where Rudy, you know the little Rudy? Rudy told her sister, Vanessa, I'm going to drop out of school because I don't like school and I'm dropping out. She was like in the fourth grade. I'm dropping out of school. And Vanessa said, Rudy, if you drop out of school, you're only in the fourth grade. What you going to do? Rudy said something that changed my life. Rudy said, teach the third grade. Did y'all catch what I just said? Rudy said, I'll just teach what I already know. You're waiting to be able to teach at the PhD level in Christ. And you're not going to do nothing until you get to the PhD level in God. And God is telling you, you're never going to PhD. 
You're at the third grade in Christ? Teach the second grade. You're at the fourth grade? Teach the third grade. Get involved in what's going on. Father, I thank you. I have done what I believe you told me to do. I presented it in the way I believe you told me to. And God, if I have influenced in the wrong way, if I have said something that was not of your will, I pray that you erase it from their mind and you bring it to mine so that I might repent knowing that I am an imperfect vessel and I have the ability to mess up like anyone else. And so I humble myself to say that if I have done anything that is not in your will today, forgive me. But I believe I've said what you told me to say and I believe that there's some people who hear it they're engrafting it and they're wrestling with it. And God, I'm praying that you raise up an army at the Bridge Church, an army of servers, an army of volunteers, an army of willing workers, an army of helpers, an army that just says whatever I can do to make a difference in this world to change the game, I'm willing to do it. Lighten the load of this pastoral leadership and cause the people to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Bridge Church. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.